welcome back to the next episode of my podcast. Um, now that I got the DJ part out of the way, it's probably a good idea to explain to you what the DJ part meant to me. So I'm going to take you back on a field trip through memory. Um, I would like to mention before we get started, this podcast contains no additional music and will not be um, altered in any way by any of the hosts. Um, one of the main reasons why I posted through Spotify last time is because I really wanted to have the DJ-like experience and I don't want to pay extra for licensing fees. So Spotify allowed me to use their system to podcast like a DJ. That notwithstanding, on to the podcast. Hey, so the whole reason why I did the whole DJ episode last week, we're going back in time field trip, like I said at the beginning here, and the field trip is going to take us back to a much simpler time, and that would be the year 2001. Um, not really a simpler time, just more of a, I was 19, I had some ideas, I had some plans, you know, 19-year-old things. If you are 19 and listening to this podcast, chase your dreams down, catch them, beat them up. Do the thing, make it happen. Don't wait 20 years. Trust me, it's not a fun time. It's literally been 20 years since this happened. I'm 39 years old right now as I'm recording this. Also, if somehow time travel's been invented and audio is able to go back to the past, 19 year old me, bro, figure it out, okay? Like, figure this out because I don't, I love my life, but it would just be nice if we could have figured that out, you know? Anyway. So on to the whole point of the podcast. So I'm 19 and I'm hanging out with my friend Josh and I'm working dumb job after dumb job after dumb job. I think it was dumb job number three or four. He and I had just got done working for this place called Friendly's or I was about to work at Friendly's. Don't do drugs and don't drink because it really messes with memory and that's okay like I should probably write all this stuff down at some point but it's a podcast on the internet like who's really going to pay attention to oh wait that's the whole reason I'm doing it anyway it was sometime in between I think the DB Mart job came first uh DB Mart at that time was before it became or was after it was we called Dairy Mart anyway it was a convenience store chain located in New England it had I don't know like 50 or 60 locations at the time. And it was in direct competition. My location was in direct competition with an extra mart across the street, which again, I have no idea if either of these chains even exists anymore. I live in central Florida. Now we have Wawa, we have 7-Eleven, we have Circle K. Yeah. Anyway, moving along. So I'm working at this store and Josh and I are sitting outside one night and I have this idea. I was like, Hey man, I really want to do the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. It was like, well, if you can figure out if they have a thing going, like, I'll totally go. Don't they do, like, open houses or something like that? And I was like, you know what? Let's find out. Early days of the internet. Hop on Connecticut School of Broadcast's website. Find out, bro, we're totally doing an open house. Like, a week or two after we had this conversation. Pretty sure the Connecticut School of Broadcasting was in Stratford. However, don't hold me to that because the drug and alcohol reference I made earlier scrambles with the old brain cells. So I just remember it not being very close. And by very close, I mean, like, I probably had to drive like about 30 minutes to get there. So anyway, 
open house. Josh drives me because at this time I don't have a vehicle. We get there. We walk in. We sit down. We listen to the presentation. School looks amazing. They also do film. They also do radio broadcast. I mean, they do like everything. It's awesome. And they have us sitting there for a little while and just talking about the program and, you know, going down the nuts and bolts of how it works and what programs you can sign into and like what happens if you pick broadcasting are you allowed to do television it's like no you have to change programs and at that point you know you lose all your progress and then well what kind of broadcasting skills do they teach you and at that time they were still doing the in-studio broadcasting which i know now <laughs> 20 years later that's not really so much of a thing but i would have learned how to use reel-to-reels and track recorders eight track four track recorders and i would also had to learn how to use pass-through devices and anyway Long story short, I would have learned a lot of technology that's pretty much obsolete now. And the film school part of it was really cool because they actually had a little TV studio set up where they had a soundproof booth and they had the, um, you know, cool professional looking camera on the stilt. Anyway, all this is all well and good. Josh and I stay until the end of the presentation. And then, you know, they have the little, like, here's some handouts, and we probably got, like, a folder or something that said Connecticut School of Broadcasting on it. And I asked the guy, what kind of tuition, like, do you guys do, like, tuition reimbursements or, like, basically, is there any kind of financial aid available? And he looks at me and he says, well, there's no tuition uh, reimbursements for most places because this isn't considered a, you know, like, a work approved place unless you're going to go work for a radio station um, and financially it doesn't exist. So you would have to come up with the, and the number he gives me I'm recalling is approximately $19,000 for those of you playing along at home. That would be a one, a nine, a comma, three zeros, a decimal point and two zeros after that with a dollar sign in front of all of that. That's at that time. That's $1,000 for every year I've been alive and $1,000 a year. Yeah, I did that right. <laughs> I'm like two beers in. You think I know how to do basic math anyway. So it's $1,000 a year for every year I've been alive. Um, I don't know anyone that could give me $1,900, $19,000, excuse me, $1,900. I probably could have worked for that. I didn't ask if it was for the whole program or for the year, because to be fair, as soon as that number came out of his mouth, I instantly got scared and said, OK, well, thank you so much for your time. And I hopped on out of there. Josh and I get back into the car and we kind of stared at each other for a couple of minutes. I don't know where I'm going to come up with $19,000. He's like. I just came because you wanted me to come in here. <laughs> it's like, it sounds like a great program, but that's a lot of money. I was like, yeah, college is a lot of money too. So I wonder if it's a year or if it's like for the whole program. Well, it turns out it was for the whole program. And I think the program ran 18 months-ish. So it would have been just about two years of school for $19,000, which if you're following along at home, is a bargain considering that I am $35,000 in debt currently with the education that I only have about two and a half years towards a four-year degree. So 
that's a deal in any event. I didn't take up on it, obviously. And my life went in many different directions from there. But the main point was, I went into this room and I sat down and I had this dream. And I've constantly come back to the radio thing. Constantly in my life. I've even tried to do a podcast on another long defunct system that I managed to do like probably about six podcasts because I always get the energy up and I lose the energy and I get the energy up and I lose the energy and something that's been very inspiring for me has been watching my wife who runs her own YouTube channel which I will conveniently provide a link whenever I share this on social media to her YouTube channel um, she goes through waves where she puts out a lot of content and then she kind of dials back a little, you know, because life happens. She works full time um, for one of the theme parks here in Central Florida, and uh, they currently have her working, you know, six days a week for the most part, which is honestly a lot of working. It's a lot like she's there a lot and she's been doing the best she can. Um, to try to keep up with what's going on. But sometimes that means that she skips out on weeks and she doesn't quite put out enough content or some weeks she wishes she could put out more content. And so I've watched her on average. She does try to get out a video a week. But the bottom line here is when I realized that she had the microphone and she was using the microphone to make voiceovers, I was like, well, there's got to be a way for me to do a thing with this too. And so here I am. Um, you'll also notice my cadence has changed. I was really just throwing that on the first podcast to see how I felt about using my announcer voice, which, uh, yeah, <laughs> turns out my announcer voice kind of sucks. So here we are uh, talking it up. And I will mention that every podcast I've done so far, I've had a couple of years before doing because apparently I need to loosen up a little. So uh, I try to record these at night so that when I have a couple drinks, I fall asleep. Only tonight I won't be falling asleep. It is uh, Sunday, November 28th when I'm recording this. And uh, between all of the takes, I started around 9 o'clock. It is probably around, well, I know it's around 9.20 now because I can see. I'm also using the wife's MacBook, which is kind of nice because it's a MacBook. Last episode was recorded on a Chromebook for, the, for those, again, paying attention at home. Um, Chromebooks have been doing an amazing job lately, but MacBook was a little bit more accessible for me uh, this time, especially since it's still plugged in. We also um, have been using, well, I thought about filming this episode and making it available on YouTube, and then I thought better of myself because honestly... There's an old DJ joke that says you have a face for radio, and I feel like I'm that guy. Luckily, I married somebody gorgeous, so she has a face for YouTube, but my talents lie specifically with my voice. So, back to the story. So, $19,000. So, what do I do? Well, it's 2001, and at this time, I'm going to go with the major national event of the year hasn't happened yet because I'm pretty sure this was in January, February of that year. And like I said, I was in between some kind of trashy jobs for me. So I went back to work and I ended up working 
I think I left the DB Mart job. I ended up working at a Friendly's that was in a retirement community in Southington, Connecticut. I worked there for about three months before I was unceremoniously fired by the lady that worked there because I was an unruly child, apparently didn't listen to uh, reason all that well, which, I mean, I'm not saying I disagree with that. I remember myself at 19. I was uh, pretty much a jerk. Um, and then by that time I was 20, that would have been in 2002, and that definitely would have been after the national tragedy. I went into a recruiter's office and uh, had a conversation, and I was one of those classic, I almost joined, but no. I'm, I There's no but to that story. I sat, I listened to the sales pitch, I made an educated decision, and decided that wasn't for me. Now, what was really funny was the recruiter then showing up at my job then at McDonald's and having a long conversation with me about how, well, you just going to be a burger flipper for the rest of your life. And I was just like, yeah, it's better than being in the Navy. Because at that time, it was better than being in the Navy. I didn't like all of the ideas that came along with me going into the Navy. And I really didn't like the sales pitch and the pressure that was being put on me at that time. Um I also saw a lot of the kids that I was going to high school with starting to enlist and um, listening to sales pitches about, oh, you know, you can join the army and you can be a guitar player. And I'm like, yeah, but you're really not going to be a guitar player. Like, that's not that's not how that works. Like, they don't get you. And granted, with the limited knowledge that I had then, I have a lot more knowledge of it now. Full disclaimer, never served day in any of our armed services. And I would never talk about the armed services in a negative light. They aren't for everybody. The people who do get into them get into them for righteous reasons. Most of them are just because they need to pay bills. But they do something that I was not able to do. And that is swallow a load of garbage in order to get a job that's going to give me education, health care, so on and so forth, living arrangements, all that stuff. I decided I was going to struggle it out. So I did. And uh, later that year, you know, my mom and my sister had moved to Georgia at that point. And I packed it up and I moved to Georgia myself. So before I was 21, in January of uh, my, my 20th year of existence, heading into my 21st year, I packed everything up in my Oldsmobile that I bought in Norwalk for about $1,500. It was a 1988 Oldsmobile Royal Broham. I believe it was a 1988 one. Of course, I said that already. And it was a Delta 88 model, which is important because I used to think that that meant it was made in 1988. Came to find out Oldsmobile had a weird thing about naming their cars with numbers. If anybody knows of a 442 that's out there that they want to get rid of, contact me. I may have a proposal for you, but I don't have any money. We'll talk about it when you get to me. Anyway, it's Oldsmobile 442. If you have one, let me know. But point being, I drove this Oldsmobile um, when I went to go buy it. It was sold to me under the condition it was as is, of course, because, you know, <laughs> what car at $1,500 isn't going to be as is. It was a four-door black sedan, um, typical Oldsmobile. If you put that in your head from the 80s, boxy looking, everything was fine. Structurally, it worked great. It did have a couple of major flaws. Uh, the first major flaw was that in order to start the car, it had an anti-theft system that was built into it. The current owner left the magnet that you needed to start it on the non-functional gear shift. 
So it was one of those gear shifts that was on the uh, steering column of the car. And he left. It was like a bar magnet. It was probably about three inches long, maybe a half inch wide. And he left that stuck to the, the gear shift. And when I said non-functional, there's a reason. But back to the magnet. So you had to find the spot on the dashboard where the receiver for the magnet was. And unless you held the magnet up to the receiver on the dashboard, the car wouldn't turn over. So that was uh, the fun part A. Uh, fun part B was then going back to that non-functional um, gear shift. Yeah, it was an automatic. And apparently some point throughout the life of the car, the transmission cable snapped out of the gear shift. So the guy had to make it work somehow. So he had a mechanic rig the cable that switches the gears through into the um, emergency brake, which if you're familiar with an Oldsmobile or any kind of large sedan, luxury sedans like Lincoln's, Oldsmobile's, Buick's, they all had an emergency brake on the left side. And the emergency brake was activated by stepping down on the pedal. And then there would be a like a pull switch above it. And right where the pull switch came out of the dashboard, just below that is where that cable came out. And so that cable, you had to actually count the clicks in your head. Luckily, I had the convenient PRND-D3-D2 on the dashboard. So I knew which gears I was going into. But one click was reverse. Another click was neutral. Three clicks was drive. So on and so forth. So in order to drive this vehicle, it basically made it so that you had to be very sober. Luckily for me at the time, I was not an alcoholic. There were other things going on in my life, but that was not one of them. Um, I was able to operate that vehicle pretty well. And that's actually the car, that same car that got me all the way from Georgia, or sorry, from Connecticut to Georgia. Um, but that was, it was an interesting uh, time of my life right there. I was thinking that was 20 years ago, actually on the side note, on the way down from Georgia or from Connecticut to Georgia, I actually stopped off in North Carolina uh, where my brother was at the time. And I picked him up from my dad's house and uh, took him with me to Georgia. And that's where I learned that my brother hates sour stuff because I had a package of sour Starbursts next to a package of regular Starbursts that I had gotten from a Texaco um, before I left, the people from the valley would know the Texaco over by Ansmore Plaza, Tritown Plaza, depending on who or where we're talking. But there's a Texaco that used to be up on the hill, and that was one of the last places I stopped, and I managed to get the sour and regular Starburst. And then that day that I left, to make things even more fun, um... The day that I left Connecticut, I was able to leave Connecticut. And important side note here, I lived exactly 60 miles from Manhattan. That'd be the north side of New York City. 60 miles. 60 mile trip to Manhattan on average would take an hour and a half. Normally. I was able on a Saturday night. I remember clearly what day of the week it was. I was able to leave where I was in Connecticut, and drive to the Jersey Turnpike, the start of the New Jersey Turnpike, in less than an hour. I think it was like 45 or 55 minutes. So it took me less time than average 
to get to the New Jersey Turnpike, which was a sign that I was doing the right thing. Won't say that I didn't tear up because I did on my way out when I saw the sign that said New York welcomes you. It was a little uh, sobering because that was the first time I'd left where I grew up. And for like the last two years, I just worked a bunch of garbage jobs. Um, Interesting side note, because that's all this story is about. It's about me, apparently, and how I want to program things. Um, I actually stayed with a girl at her parents' house that I was dating at the time while I saved up the money to buy that car. And when she realized that I was going to be moving to Georgia after I got the car, we broke up. Which I think is even funnier now, because if I recall properly, I think she lives here in Florida now. <laughs> but that's, that's, uh, that's, yeah. Those are other points for another day. So I end up taking my time out of my life to kind of orient myself in which direction I wanted to go. As I said, I decided I didn't want to join the Navy. So I leave. And I head south to my mom, my grandmother, my uncle, who had been in Georgia at that point for probably about 10 years. He was getting ready to retire, had already retired from the Air Force. Um, And we moved to Augusta, Georgia, which I left all the city names in Connecticut out because up until now, Norwalk, Stratford, you know, you get the idea. I was from Southeast Connecticut or Southwest Connecticut. I lived about an hour away and I lived in a space, as I like to refer to it, as the space that exists between Bridgeport, Connecticut and Waterbury, Connecticut. People who are from there would know that as the Naugatuck River Valley or the Naugatuck Valley. I grew up in that area, lived there for 20 years. I like to thank them for establishing the foundation of my education and helping shape who I am intellectually. It's also ironic. When I catch up with people on Facebook who I went to high school with, who when I have these conversations with them, you know, politics gets involved. I realize just how different things really are between us. But I also have a lot of other experiences that I bring to the table, and that's what helps shape me as a person. Anyway, back on topic. So I leave. I get to North Carolina. I pick up my brother. I get to Georgia. As soon as I get settled in Georgia... I get a job working for the cable company. And when I'm working for the cable company, I realize this is a pretty good job. I mean, hell, I think they started me at nine bucks an hour, which at that time was like, and I eventually worked my way up through the rankings, end up working through tech support. And I am making about $12.50, almost $13 an hour, which at that time, more money than I've ever seen in my life. And they also pay out overtime. They also have mandatory lunches where you, instead of taking an hour, they trick you into taking a, or instead of, yeah, instead of taking an hour, they trick you into taking a 30. They buy you lunch and they tell you if you take the lunch that you have to take the 30 minute break. So I'm like, I'm not eating pizza today. So I'll just go sit in my car and, you know, I'll take my hour lunch and I'll, I'll go to Wendy's or I'll go get Mexican. Or I'll go do whatever the hell I want because it's my hour-long lunch. But towards the end of that, um, I just wasn't wasn't feeling it anymore. Uh, starting to get routine, starting to get very boring, starting to get very frustrated. Um, 
I went from just starting off and billing, listening to people from Mississippi call in. And Mississippi is a place I had never heard of. I mean, I knew the state, obviously. I knew that Elvis Presley was from there, but I had never actually spoken to somebody from Mississippi. And I got to hear some of the craziest calls in my life. Um, Working for the cable company in the South, if you don't know this, I'm going to share it with you. 20 years ago, uh, cable television was what people did. They drank, they watched college football, and they watched other TV other than, you know, college football. So if something happened to the cable, we were in trouble. And boy, were we in trouble a lot. I remember taking his phone call one time. And mind you, this is in the early days of what they call the interactive voice recognition system with IVR. So, um, yeah, it it was the early days. So it's still the, you know, press one for this and two for that and six for that and press zero and hold on and a rep will be with you shortly. And the reason I'm prefacing all of this is just imagine how many times this particular customer had to hear that they were calling the cable company before they got me on the phone. So I answer with my typical, thank you for calling cable company. This is Matthew. What can we get started for you today? Well, let me tell you about these. And then he proceeds to use a bunch of words that I will not repeat on this podcast or in real life. But let's just say he's from Mississippi and he's definitely a white guy trying to describe some fellas that may or may not have broken into his shed. And he gets done telling his story. And I said, well, sir, uh, this is the cable company. Is there something cable related? Oh, you must not have heard me. What I said was, and then, you know, proceeds to tell me a much shorter, but still nonetheless offensive version of the exact same story about how two black guys broke into a shed. So he gets to the end of the second retelling and says, adds to it this time. And I want to know what y'all are going to do about it. And I said, well, sir, like I said, at the end of the first time you told me the story, this is the cable company, and I'm not quite sure what we can do about a potential breaking and entering. Oh, man, this is a cable company. I thought this is the fucking police. And he hangs up. And that is the day that I realized this was going to be a lot more entertaining than it was worth. Um, I also got to talk to quite the cast of characters. We used to have this guy that would call in that you could tell had some sort of mental um, disability. And uh, he would just talk. I unfortunately cannot remember this young man's name. But when he would call in, he would say things like, does that sound about right? You think I should take a bath? Does that sound about right? And he would just talk to you. And he really wasn't asking anything crazy. I mean, seriously, the guy was probably just lonely, to be honest. But he'd keep you on the phone for probably a good 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. And remember, call center, talk times, you know metrics, all that stuff. It would be entertaining. Um, one of my earliest experiences and something that I do carry through different jobs with me is I used to sit next to our Spanish speaking coworkers. And one of the things that I learned early on is that um, our Spanish speaking coworkers at that time actually got paid an extra dollar an hour more than just the English speaking coworkers. And that would be due to the fact that they technically could do twice as much work. But what I always found funny was that they got the same number of calls that we did. In some cases, if they were exclusively in the Spanish-speaking queue, they might get less calls than we did. But they got paid more than I did. And to be fair, I don't know Spanish. I only know a little bit of Spanish. 
I know what I like to refer to as retail Spanish, furniture shop retail Spanish, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Whole point of this conversation is I learned that people with different skill sets deserve to be paid for those skill sets. And the cable company that I worked for at the time was one of those, definitely was one of those companies. They paid for those skill sets. So I would be in the middle of taking a call and I would, you know, we were all sitting at cubicles. We're probably about six to eight feet apart from one another. And I could very clearly hear a rep on the other side of me speaking fully in Spanish to the, the customer they had on the end of the phone. And every so often we had a button on our phones that would mute um, our speech to the guests, but not mute their ability to talk to us. So we could still hear them, but it would just basically cut our microphone off so we could talk to each other. And it would be my greatest entertainment would be listening to this woman basically not yelling, but like understand very few people in the building knew Spanish. So she could be saying, you know, like, I hate you and you're stupid to these people and no one would be any the wiser. And then in between yelling at this person in Spanish, muting the mic and going, this guy really just doesn't understand it. No, sir. You know, like back to Spanish again. No, like plug it back in or whatever she was saying to him at the time. And it just got entertaining after a while because you realize that the number of people who spoke another language in the building was really limited to the reps they had on the phone. And then there was maybe one supervisor. So if they ever had to pull one of those calls to listen to it, they would have to pull that supervisor in the room and make him or her listen to it. And I mean, there was kind of an unspoken rule that even if they were cussing at each other, probably wouldn't have said much about it. Not saying I'm mad, just thought it was hilarious. Everything was pretty hilarious at that job. We also had a Coca-Cola vending machine and the, uh, well, we had lots of vending machines. Let's be real. I'm pretty sure we had a sandwich vending machine too in there. We definitely had a snack vending machine, but the Coca-Cola vending machine stands out to me because at that point, the Coke, uh, distributor would come in to restock the vending machine around the holidays. And every Christmas that I worked there for four years, every Christmas, they did this little promotion where they would put a sign on the machine that would say, free polar bear with money to buy soda. Happy holidays from Coca-Cola. And so I, the first time that happened to me, I was like, wait, what? So I think the sodas out of the machine at that time were 75 cents or a dollar. They weren't very expensive. I know they're like a dollar 25 now, but that's not the point. But one of my favorite parts of that job was you would put your money in the machine and, you know, you'd press your button. Uh, my my drink of choice at that time was still Coca-Cola. We'll get into why it's not in another episode. But for tonight's episode, my drink of choice was Coca-Cola. So I would go ahead and drop my money in. I'd hit the button for Coke and a clear bottle would pop out. And there was, imagine a beanie baby version of the polar bear that you see from Coca-Cola on the commercials. There was a beanie baby sized version of it in there. And there would be a note that said, happy holidays from Coca-Cola. And there would also be a dollar and quarters so that you could buy yourself another soda, <laughs> which I always thought, like, talk about one heck of a promotion, right? Here you guys are giving out little Beanie Babies, and you're also giving, not only giving away the Beanie Baby thing, but you're also giving us the ability to buy a drink because let's be real, like, I would be really upset. I'm not saying I didn't like the Beanie Babies, but I would be really upset if I, like, dropped a dollar in there for a soda and they just gave me a Beanie Baby and I was expecting a Coke. So I always thought it was really cool that not only did they give you the little the gift, but they also gave you the money for the for the soda to get another one. Um, 
that notwithstanding, that job was not horrible. I um, have worked in a few other call centers since that time, but uh, my time in call centers has drawn to a close. I would need to be coming back in as a manager or hire. I would have to basically be guaranteed that my time on the phones would be limited to, you know, like less than hours per month. I would not, if it was eight hours a month, I think that would still be maybe a, a, a price too high. But in any event, I think what I'm going to do with this format is just talk to you about my life and my life experiences. And uh, since you've made it this far in the episode, now would be a good time to tell you about a contest that I'm going to run. Um, you can feel free to post wherever you find this. And the first person to name the band that is decided... Bleh. Let me try that again. The first person who names the band that wrote the song that is the title of each episode um, will get a special shout out in the next episode. And also, if you name the band that I that wrote the song that I developed the entire show for, well, you're not going to get a shout out for that because that was kind of the whole point. But it's going to have a theme in that there will be a song name for every episode. And that was the one thing that I committed to for this particular podcast. When I do another podcast, I might flip the script around and name them something different every time. But since this one's just going to be me babbling about my life for about a half an hour every time you listen to it, I'm going to name every one of the episodes after a song. So if you know the name of the artist that wrote the song that's titled on this episode, uh, feel free to comment or go to my voice recording page which you can totally do if you head over to anchor.fm forward slash Matthew hyphen Paradiso or Matthew dash Paradiso, depending on how old you are, forward slash message. And when you get there, feel free to record me a message, send it on through. And uh, if you've ever wanted to reach an audience of American males, uh, you found the best show to do that on. I will clean it up if it needs to be cleaned up and I'll throw that message in here and I'll pump it out to the masses. But be careful, the M might be silent and that's where the problems start. In any event, I'd really like to thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to me babble on about my life and about my life experiences. If there's anything that you would like to know more about when it comes to my life or you have any other questions or feedback, you feel free to, uh, again, comment on any of my social media posts. I'm also available on Twitter at a stellar drive. That's a S T E L L A R drive D R I V E all one word, no spaces. Hopefully you find me on Facebook and, uh, yeah, you can also contact me with the contact me link. I'm sure that you'll find on any of this places that you're trying to stream this. Um, but in the meantime, thank you again so much for your time and your energy and your ability to be patient and listen as I talk about 20 years ago. Um, I would say that this episode is sponsored by somebody, but the truth is it's sponsored by the fact that I had three beers and I'm about to finish a fourth beer before I have to go pick up my lovely wife in a couple of hours. So don't worry. I got a lot of water going after this. In the meantime, 
thank you so much for joining me here on Anchor FM, and thank you for joining me on Spotify. We'll see you next time when uh, the topic of choice will be, what did I do after I left Comcast? It's a lot to talk about there, a lot to unpack. But in the meantime, thank you again for checking me out. And this has been another episode of my, my podcast about my life. We'll see you next week. Thank you.